Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Hey there, beautiful, multi-ethnically diverse people of Hatfield on this Heritage Day long weekend. I hope you've all dressed for the occasion this morning. Please note my swanky shirt. Uh, Thank you. Could I ask all of you to share in the chat one of your favorite things about your specific heritage? Um, Go ahead, do it now, just share it, and let's see what everyone has to say. But it's so good to be able to spend time with you guys looking at the book of Ephesians as part of our current series, Ethnic Blends, in a message entitled, An Apartheid Conquering Love. Heritage Day, which we celebrate in South Africa, always takes place on the 24th of September, and it recognizes and celebrates the cultural wealth of our nation. And really, South Africans the world over celebrate on that day by remembering the cultural heritage of all of the diverse cultures that make up the population of South Africa. And what a beautiful, diverse cultural heritage that is. Uh, my wife and I and uh, her parents managed to get away to Clarence a couple of weekends ago, and really it struck us again how talented our artists and our musicians are, how beautiful our landscape is, and how blessed we are to live in such a beautifully diverse country as we do. I stand before you today as a part Jew, part Greek, part Africana, but a 100% South African mishmash of culture And I'm married to an incredibly beautiful, thoroughbred Italian wife. Go Juventus. That one was for you, Dad. And uh, she is also 100% South African. We love this country. We love its people. And we love its diversity. But what really is a heritage? What does that word mean? So in trying to find out exactly what that entails, I went to my good friend Google, and he told me that the legacy um, in terms of physical artifacts, historical events, and intangible attributes of a group or society is what is known as their heritage. Now, all worldly heritages, no matter where you go, carry with them both good and, and bad aspects. And often when we want to forget the bad, uh, we want to act like it doesn't exist, and we only want to focus on the good aspects of our heritage. I'm a product of my parents. Through and through, you can see little bits of both of them in me. And really, my genetic makeup is a mix of both of them. As a, as a positive, I've inherited my father's hairline, and I'll hopefully have a full head of hair for a long time to come. And uh, as a negative, I've inherited my mom's uh, family side uh, in terms of being severely affected by carbs. All it takes is one look or smell, and the scale goes up. And uh, this morning, if you are similarly affected by carbs, um, but are simultaneously in love with carbs, uh, type carbs for life in the chat now. Hmm, carbs. Anyway, anyway, uh, the reality is I could ignore that negative aspect and I can eat all the carbs I want, but the fallout of doing so would not be pretty. Often we've got to acknowledge those negative aspects in our heritage, the difficulties of our past, before we can meaningfully move forward into our future. 
Apartheid was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa and Southwest Africa from about 1948 till about 1994, and it existed to divide us, to separate us, and it ruined countless numbers of lives. More than that, many others benefited from that system as it existed in our country, and whether we like it or not, that era in the history of our country forms part of our earthly heritage. Right now, in this time, we live in the fallout of that time of our history, and we'll probably continue to do so for some time to come. We need only look around us to see that many are living out the reality of that time in our history, even now, and really countless injustices that took place during that time will not be righted overnight. And though 26 years have passed since 1994, we still have a very long way to go. So that's our earthly heritage. But the beautiful news that I have for you this morning is that as children of God, we have a different heritage, a different legacy that we take on, that we live out, that we walk in, And this legacy is the reason so many of ourselves find us in a community like Hatfield. We feel that strong calling in our lives to really see the lostness, the pain, and the brokenness in our city addressed. And we feel strongly convicted that the only way that we're going to address that is through living out fully the being of Jesus Christ in our community, in our life, in our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves. No well-written legislation, no politics, no clever ideas, no truth and reconciliation commission or political party alone will serve to bring unity to our nation. Unity will only come when we embody God's love for his people and when we walk that out intentionally, meaningfully, and wholeheartedly in relationship with everyone in our country, in our world. This is the only way we'll see the past addressed and a brighter future for our country. There simply is no other way but through the love and unity that comes from being in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I look at the state of our nation, there's a fire that starts to burn in my heart for our people to come to know God, for their social pain to be addressed, and for the systemic brokenness in our country to be fixed. As I just said, the starting point has got to be Jesus. But then it's up to men and women of faith to take hands with what God is doing and to take their place in in government, in their workplaces, in their cities, in their families, wherever they find themselves to take up the call to be agents of change in our nation. As we start to wrestle with these realities, the discontent in our hearts needs to be growing, friends. We can choose to ignore the carbs, but it's not going to change the effect that they have on us. Bill Hybels, in his book, Holy Discontent, says the following. He says, I believe the motivating reason why millions of people choose to do good in the world around them is because there's something so wrong that they just can't stand it. As a result, they devote their vocational lives, their volunteer energies, their hard-earned money to making sure it gets fixed. 
The point is, the irresistible attraction to a specific cause that compelled these people to invest joyfully of their time, their money, and their energies always linked back to a single spark of frustration that fueled what is now a raging fire in their souls. That's discontent. But what makes a discontent holy? When that thing that creates discontent in our hearts is connected to the priorities of God's heart and mirrors his discontent, it becomes a holy discontent. We join God in making what is wrong in this world right. There's something beautiful that happens when God is on our side to do something about the holy discontent in our hearts and what seems impossible suddenly becomes possible, what seems insurmountable becomes doable, and this negative legacy um, becomes a future pervaded by the grace and the reconciliation that can only come from God. Moses' people were in bondage, and God worked mightily through him to set them free. Nehemiah's people were disgraced and the walls of their city were destroyed and God worked through him to rebuild not only the walls of that city but to restore the dignity of his people. Esther's people were in danger of being wiped out and God worked through her to save them all. So today we live in the reality our people are hurting, they're lost, they're broken and they're confused and God will work through us. He'll work through through Manalisi and through Esti, through Mo, through Pravani, through Blader, through Yandre, through Mel, through Mundi, through Vaughan, through you and through me to restore our nation to the unity that we can only find in him. So what does that have to do with Ephesians? Um, well, up to this point, Paul has affirmed that the Gentiles and the Jews are now made one family in Christ Jesus, and the walls dividing us have been broken down spiritually. And Paul knows that the actual walking out of our new heritage will not come without a price. And it's for this reason that he takes the time at, the, at this point in our journey through Ephesians to pray for the church in Ephesus. And we're really picking up today in chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 14 to verse 21. But, uh, but here's how it goes. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, the height, and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, If we have to take this verse for verse, verse 14 kicks off and we see Paul kneeling down to intercede for the church. And now the first thing we should notice here and and maybe should discover is that this way of praying was not common in Paul's day. Prayer was done standing with your palms outstretched to the deity you were praying to. 
But really would people kneel and what this posture of prayer really reveals to us is Paul's state of mind, his heart as he prays for the church. His posture is one of submissiveness and a deep adoration for God, but it is also one of urgency as he, he just intercedes deeply for the Gentiles in Ephesus. He knows that the church will never, never fulfill its mission unless they are strengthened and they remain rooted and grounded in Christ. He also prays to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And why does he do this? Because Paul wants to irrevocably state that we are all God's children. He wants to reinforce that we're all related to God through Jesus and by the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. And if we look at the Greek word that he uses here when he says every, that Greek word really is the Greek word for whole, and it serves to confirm that no one for any reason is excluded from this family. Paul prays for God to encourage and strengthen them in the face of the trials and tribulations that they would inevitably face as they try to live out the mission of this church. So whether we're downtrodden, depressed, disappointed, or discouraged, friends, wherever we find ourselves, let us learn and take Paul's lead and and remember that at any point we can fall to our knees before God and we can pray and petition him to help us in the mission that he's placed before us. Paul prays, and really there are four things that he petitions God for, for the church in Ephesus. And the first we find in verse three, uh, in chapter three and verse 16 and 17, and really there Paul prays that the church would be strengthened through the Spirit. Strengthened through the Spirit. Long-distance runners know that they need to keep taking in sustenance in the form of mid-race snacks to keep their bodies going, or eventually they're going to run out of fuel and not be able to cross that finish line. And it's very easy for us to become discouraged and to run out of fuel as we partner with God to see our city transformed and as we try to bring unity to a divided nation. Why? Because nothing worthwhile ever comes without some form of opposition. The opposition within us, but also the opposition external to us. So let's start with that opposition within us. If we ever hope to bring healing and unity to our nation, we need to start by dealing with the prejudices and the unforgiveness in our own hearts first. It's easier to deny our past and to ignore the unforgiveness in our hearts or worse, tell ourselves that we are justified in that unforgiveness and in harboring those prejudices in our hearts. Phrases like, but you don't know what that person did to me or or even believing the enemy that acting like something did not happen is the same as having worked through it. We need to be a people that live out the realities of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Uh, Every day of our lives, as we pray that prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I'll never forget the night I came home from the most incredible worship camp and my heart was full but I was so exhausted the way you can only be after a church camp 
And normally I always look behind me when I drive into our property and, and this, this evening I was just so exhausted that I just drove up and, and the next thing I knew there was a car behind me and, and two gunmen jumped out and, and held me at gunpoint. And this was the second time I had had this happen to me. And both of these experiences presented me with a choice. I could choose to let fear and resentment take hold in my heart. I could choose not to forgive. And it just so happened that both times the men who held me at gunpoint were black. So I could also let unforgiveness rule in my heart and choose to paint an entire ethnic group with the same brush. Or I could choose to bring God my trauma, my fears, the pain, and allow him to transform my heart. And the sooner I do that, the better. Both times this happened to me, I was able to, that very evening, pray for the perpetrators that were holding me at gunpoint. I was able to come before God and and earnestly forgive these guys that had come and done this injustice to me. But why? How? How was I able to do this? Simply because God gives us the strength to deal with our prejudices and our hurts. It takes strength to deal with the prejudices and, and the pain and the unforgiveness in our hearts, to lay them down and to forgive. And, and really, I want to tell you today that we can never do this ourselves, which is why Paul prays for us for strength. You can imagine that the Gentiles had been severely mistreated by the Jews in Ephesus. And, and Paul knew it would be hard to come back from that. But he also knew God's strength would empower the process. So let me ask you, would you pray that prayer for God to come and search your heart and, and reveal anything that's lingering there that's unhelpful to bringing unity, to bringing oneness in our nation? Really allowing the dividing walls we've built in our hearts to come down, to stop keeping people out and certain ethnicities out and, and to stop harboring grievances against people groups and people who've hurt us will, will be something which we can trust God for, will be something which God will give us the strength to accomplish and will be something which will bring us the healing we need to undergo before we can truly bring unity to our nation. But let us not forget that it's not only the internal opposition that we will be facing, but there will be external opposition as well. Let's be clear. The enemy does not want to see a a, a nation unified under Christ, and neither do many people within our nation. It takes strength to stand in the face of such opposition. Not everyone has the same vision that we do. For some, apartheid was their golden era, and they want to see it return. For others, they believe that unity between ethnicities will never work, and we're just too different. And this is exactly why Paul prays for strength, the strength to endure and to stand in the face of insurmountable odds that we may see God's kingdom come in our city and our nation. The more we keep Christ at the center of our lives, letting him shape our attitudes and our values, our choices, our decisions, our actions, the more we will be like him, 
This transformation from deep within will then affect every other segment of our lives. And, and friends, today I want to tell you that no amount of striving or effort or will on our part can bring about this change in us and in our city. It is only through time spent at the feet of Jesus and by knowing where our strength comes from as we run the race. So Paul continues, and the second thing he prays for is he prays that the church would be rooted and grounded in love. Psalm 1 actually likens a righteous person who delights in the law of the Lord to a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It produces fruit in its season, and it cannot be easily shaken. And like that tree, the life rooted in Christ's love produces bountiful fruit wherever we go. When we are rooted in God's truth over our lives, we're able to live lives that defy the monsoon seasons, the the opposition that comes as we try to do the things God is calling us to do. And And really, Paul continues, and he doesn't only pray for a rootedness, but he also prays for a groundedness. And this moves away from agriculture and into the space of construction. And and this is all about being a building resting on a firm foundation, and, and that those whose lives rest on love would not be shaken. This rooting and grounding, or grooting, if you will, shameless guardians of the galaxy reference, comes when we make God's word the supreme authority in our lives. Really, there are generally three levels of truth for us as Christians. There are the facts, and these are the plain facts or the external reality of whatever's happening or has happened in our nation. And the second level, really, we can call the Word. And that's when we read the Word and intellectually we know what God is speaking or saying over our situation. But then there comes to a third level. It's not just about a knowing, but it's, it's what we would call the living Word, the rhema Word of God, the Word of God brought to life. And this is when the Word of God fashions and forms our thinking, our emotions, our reactions, and our way of looking at the situation we see in our country. And this is when we acknowledge the facts. We, we, yes, they're true, and, and we know what the facts are of our past and what we need to deal with, but we also bring over this reality the truth of what God is saying. It's this grootedness that brings us to a place where we recognize facts by acknowledging our history and the difficulties we currently face as a nation, but where we then apply God's living word to how we see the future of our country, God's heart for our people, and our role in letting God's kingdom of peace come and take root in our country here and now. As we bring down walls of division in our country, friends, we must know that there will be fallout, there will be failures, there will be flops, but it is our grootedness that will help us navigate these seasons with love and with grace. Thirdly, Paul prays that they would comprehend the immensity of Christ's love for them. Whereas the love mentioned in 3 verse 17 referred to the unconditional love flowing from us because of our relationship with Christ, the love of Christ in 3 verse 19 refers to Christ's love shown towards us. Can you remember the first time you started to comprehend the immensity of Christ's love for you? Share in the chat one word relating to that moment.
the moment when the realization dawned on you just how much Christ loves you. I was overwhelmed in that moment because I just couldn't fathom how God, the same God who fashioned and formed everything, could possibly love a sinner like me. And with our limited human understanding, there's no way we could ever begin to comprehend the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love for us. We could never measure this love. And and really, Paul comes and he prays that the believer would grow deeper in the knowledge of God, whose greatness can never be fully grasped, whose love can never be fully understood, and whose glory can never be fully experienced. Paul's not talking here about head knowledge. He's he's speaking about something that goes so much further. He's speaking about an experience, a, a knowing that we can only know when we've experienced and been recipients of the mercy and the grace that God brings to us. So it's it's not just understanding it here. Um, in our minds, but it's understanding it here in our hearts. And it reminds me of the response by the great jazz musician Louis Armstrong when he was asked to explain just exactly what jazz is. And he said, man, if you got to ask, you'll never know. Jazz isn't something that's dissected or measured or described or explained. It's something that's heard and felt and experienced and And the same is true for the love of Christ, but in an infinitely greater sense. He prays for the Ephesians. He prays that they will comprehend just what it means to have this love of God. And and really, why this is important for us to realize is that the love that God pours out on us, the love that God has towards us, is the same love that he has towards every single other person person on this planet, even the person that you love the least. And this Father desires to work in us and through us to bring that love and light into every dark and hopeless space in our city. Finally, Paul prays that they would be filled to God's own fullness. And what does Paul mean by this? He prays that to the fullest extent of our human capacities, we would overflow with God's strength, his love, and his knowledge as the Holy Spirit fills us to the brim. If we hope to impact our nation and to see different heritages for our children and our children's children, we'll need to be conformed more and more to that image of Christ as the Spirit works its transformative power within us. At a recent meeting, Sunel came and she brought word for us as a church. And she said, really, in encouraging us, that we all need to be fervently praying. We all need to be entrenched in the word. And, and we need to be ready to do whatever God calls us to do and to go when he says go. And really, that's what Paul is speaking about here. He's speaking about the fact that we need to be so inherently full of Jesus that we carry that Jesusness into every conversation. Jesus came in truth and he came in power. And both are necessary if we're hoping to see a nation changed. I can know God's will for our nation, but I need him to empower me every single day to have the right conversations, to pray the right prayers, to do the right things. And, and I'm not speaking here about the taiki conversations and the taiki prayers and, and the taiki things, but I'm speaking about the taiki Jesus conversations and the taiki Jesus prayers and the, the taiki Jesus things. 
This idea that my God and I can be so interwoven, so close, that I can hear him speak at any moment and I can obediently do what he's asking me to do. Because friends, we can do what we want in our own effort as much as we do, as much as we can, as much as we want to do. But there's something about coming in our Jesusness. There's something about just prayer and working in the power of the Holy Spirit, being able to build bridges, being able to move over hurts, being able to bring together people more than our human efforts ever would be able to do. And Paul finally ends his prayer with this magnificent conclusion. And he ends it um, by giving glory to God the Father, and he ends it by just looking up to the heavens and, and just saying the following, he prays, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul comes, and the reason he's praying this at this point is he's trying to remind us that, yes, the mission of the church is huge. Trying to bring together a a ununified nation is huge. Trying to bring together different multi-ethnic people groups to hold hands under the banner of Christ is huge, but we are not doing it alone. He reminds us of that, that awesome equation that reads, me plus God equals an unbeatable team. And, and today I'd like to take it one, one step further and, and just say me plus you and you and you, and you, and three billion other Christ followers, plus God, equals an unstoppable force for change. Friends, let me be honest. Bringing unity to our country will not come easily, and it will not happen overnight. But luckily, it's not just up to us to accomplish it. As each of us submits what we have, God multiplies it. He increases it. He uses it to do more than we could ever imagine. Surrendered hearts in the hands of God can change nations. At the beginning of this message, I started by speaking of the reality of our worldly heritage as South Africans. But I'd like to close by sharing a simple glimpse of our godly inheritance with you from Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10. And it reads as follows. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Our past may be one of division, segregation, and separation, but friends, our future is one in which we'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters from every tribe under heaven, worshiping and declaring together the greatness of our God. Now, if that does not stir something up within you, I do not know what will. I'll be honest with you, I love this church I love this family, and I love seeing little bits of that future reality taking shape right here and now in the midst of us, and I'd like to take some time just to pray for us as we close this morning and to pray for the season that lies ahead of us as Hatfield.
Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we look at the mission field set before us, we, we feel overwhelmed. Would you come and strengthen us with the power through your Holy Spirit to enable us to run the race you've set before us well? And that, Jesus, you'd come and you'd reside in our hearts through faith, so much so that every move we make, every word we share, every act of love is in step with your heart for your people. We pray that we would remain firmly rooted and grounded in your love, and that your love would empower us to love others in the same way in which you loved us, to love unconditionally, God, to love completely. Help us to comprehend how great God's love is for us and for those you have sent us to reach and to love. Help us to be a bridge-building, lost-finding, hurt-healing, and relationship-repairing church. Fill us to the brim, Holy Spirit, and help us to be so steeped in Jesus-ness that people encounter Him every time we enter the room. Finally, God, help us to remember that we are not the ones that will accomplish this, but that you, you will do it in and through us, and that together we will accomplish so much more than we could ever have dreamed for our city and our nation, all to your glory. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.